Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the President of the United States telling every woman and young girl in America, after multiple women again came forward with sexual assault claims against a powerful man, that it's a very scary time in this country. A scary time, he says, for men. Speaking today about his choice for the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, the president made clear again who he thinks the real victim is. Not the woman who says Kavanaugh tried to rape her, not the woman who says Kavanaugh exposed himself to her, not any woman. The real victim, it would seem to the president, is the man, and by extension, all men. I say that it's a very scary time for young men in America when you can be uh, guilty of something that you may not be guilty of. This is a very, very, this is a very difficult time. What's happening here has much more to do than even the appointment of a Supreme Court justice. It really does. You could be somebody that was perfect your entire life, and somebody could accuse you of something. Doesn't necessarily have to be a woman, as everybody says, but somebody could accuse you of something, and you're automatically guilty. But in this realm, you are truly guilty until proven innocent. That's one of the very, very bad things that's taking place right now. Look, we know where the president stands on this. He often sides with the accused man, not the women who come forward to tell their stories of abuse. Roy Moore, Roger Ailes, Bill O'Reilly, and of course himself. Now, you might argue that perhaps the president is just making a measured argument for due process, an argument against a rush to judgment for anyone accused. And that's certainly a fair argument to make, an important one. But remember, this is the same person who bought full-page ads calling for the death penalty for five juveniles accused of attacking and raping a jogger in Central Park. They were exonerated years later after spending time in prison, most of their lives in prison. Someone else confessed. Mr. Trump still hasn't apologized for that or, frankly, admitted he was wrong. When it's him or his political allies being accused, the president's playbook is to deny and then deny and then deny. But even knowing that, what the president is saying, it's pretty remarkable. According to the president, men, particularly young men, are actually the real victims with false accusations made by women lurking in every dark alley and around every corner. Now, keep in mind, the facts say otherwise. According to a research review by the National Sexual Violence Research Center, false allegations of sexual assaults are somewhere between 2 and 10 percent. Yes, they happen, but they're not the norm. Not to mention sexual assault is widely underreported. Out of every thousand sexual assaults, only 310 are reported to the police, according to the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, RAIN. One thing the discussion around Christine Blasey Ford's testimony has accomplished is that it shined a painful light on why so many women often keep quiet about an assault or harassment. One of them, CNN's Kirsten Powers, who told her story today and joins us in a moment, Rain reports that one out of every six women is the victim of rape or attempted rape in her lifetime. The president says that it's a scary time for men because of the threat of something that hardly ever happens. So let's just think about that for a moment. What does that say to women and girls who are threatened by something that actually does happen frequently? 
Now, if you're wondering where the president got such a notion about young men facing the danger of false allegations by vengeful women, maybe it's from his favorite TV station. Since Brett Kavanaugh's testimony over on Fox News, Tucker Carlson has been warning of the left's war on old white men. Tolerant left goes to war with old white men. Left broadens its attack on white men. Or maybe the president got the idea from his son, who maybe also got it from Fox News or vice versa, in kind of a feedback loop. It's, by definition, difficult to tell the starts and ends of things. But listen to what Donnie Jr. said. I got boys and I got girls. And when I see what's going on right now, it's scary for all things. I mean, I wouldn't want who are, my... you, who are you scared most for, your sons yeah, or your daughters? I mean, right now, I'd say my sons. The other problem is that for the people who are real victims of these things, when it is so obviously political in cases like this, it, it really diminishes the real claims. He's less concerned about the safety of his daughters than he is of his sons. That's certainly his prerogative as a parent. It's his opinion. But it doesn't align with the facts. Now, again, the data is one out of six women will be the victim of rape or attempted rape in her lifetime. The minuscule chance of being falsely accused in comparison, really nothing to be scared of. Joining me now is CNN political analyst and USA Today columnist Kirsten Powers. Her column today is titled, I was sexually assaulted and thought it was my fault. It's past time for a 1980s reckoning. Uh, Kirsten, I mean, uh, this piece you wrote is incredibly moving, and and I, I hope everyone out there reads it. This happened to you when you were 15 years old. And you say the memory of it came flooding back last week as you listened to Professor Ford's testimony against Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of actually ashamed to admit that what happened was I was talking to my fiance about the allegation when this allegation first broke. And my initial reaction was, well, it sounds like drunk teenage boy behavior. And before I had any details and my fiance was kind of taken aback and he said, no, actually, that's that's not right. And I said, well, and then I told the story of what happened to me. And as I was telling the story, I realized that I had internalized this idea that this is what drunk boys do. And so, therefore, you know, I had internalized the idea that because I had gotten drunk, I kind of deserved what happened to me and that it was somehow my fault. And so it was something I had never spoken about to anybody before. It's something that my friends don't remember at the time because I didn't tell them. I don't remember where the house was. I don't remember whose house it was. It just was, you know, I just, as I listened to the accusations against Dr. Ford, I just kept thinking, but this is exactly how it was for me. And I know that this happened to me. And so that doesn't mean that what she's saying is is definitely true. I just think that people need to stop saying, uh, well, if you didn't tell people the time or you didn't report it or you can't remember the specifics of where you were, that you're lying. I want to read part of what you wrote. You said, I can hear the doubters. Why now? Why didn't you tell anyone? Why didn't you report him? Liar. Um, I mean, it's like you said, you actually thought that it was your fault. Yeah, well, and I also, the other thing, and the other reason I wrote the piece was I went to school in the the 1980s, early, you know, early, I graduated in 1986, uh, so it's around the same time period that we're talking about with Dr. Blasey Ford and Judge Kavanaugh, and what happened to me, uh, which was was basically I I passed out and somebody molested me, uh, wasn't really considered sexual assault at the time. I don't think that I would have ever given it that phrase. I I, I know I, I wrote in the column the same person uh, forced one of my best friends to perform oral sex on him. And again, we didn't call it sexual assault. Sexual assault was something strangers did to you. It, it involved violence. You would be beat up and, you know, and and bloody. It wasn't something that happened uh, uh, with with a popular boy at school, frankly. You also write that, that you believe in a redemption, but that you wouldn't want your attacker to be rewarded with a Supreme Court job. You say that that's the wrong message to send to, to teen boys and girls. 
Yes, I think this is one place where I may part ways with with some people where they say, well, if a boy does this in high school, then that's who he's going to be for the rest of his life, and it tells you something about his character. I actually don't believe that. I don't believe that teenagers should be tried as adults, I, and I think that people can change and and can be redeemed. There's there's no question about that. So you know, but I think that the issue that you have to look at is. Should this person be on the Supreme Court? Now, again, I'm not saying that Judge Kavanaugh is definitely guilty. I'm saying if, but if we knew that he was, you cannot have a person on the Supreme Court, no matter how sorry he was, because it sends a message to current teenagers that you can attack a girl, a teenage girl, and because you're young, and if you go on and you're a good guy, we're not going to hold you accountable. And that's just a message we can't be sending. In light of everything that, that you went through, I'm wondering when you hear the president say that it's a, quote, scary time for, for young men in America, what, what goes through your mind? It's just maddening. It, it, it's so disconnected from reality. It's disconnected listening to Tucker say those things. It's just not... It, the epidemic... There is no epidemic of white men being under attack by women. There is an epidemic of women being under attack by men and physically under attack. And so rather than, you know, complaining because someone might be held accountable for something that they did, uh, you know, they're making up this story about how there's all these false accusations when, as you pointed out, those are exceedingly rare ex precisely because of what I'm talking about. Kirsten, if you would just stay with us, I want to bring in former Senator Rick Santorum, also CNN Chief uh, Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin. You, you actually had some choice words for Donald Trump Jr. Uh, I think he had some choice words back from you, uh, not the classiest uh, response from him. Um, what do you think of what the president said about the, the, the danger for young men? I, I think it, I think it's it's appalling, and and all you need to know, look at, is how are white men doing in America? As far as I can tell, they're doing fine. You know, uh, approximately 490 of the CEOs of the five, Fortune 500 are men. 44 of the 45 presidents we've had um, are men. More than 100 of the 115 Supreme Court justices uh, have been white men. You know, white men do fine in the United States, and they are not sexually assaulted in anywhere near the numbers that women are sexually assaulted. And to create a narrative where white men are this embattled minority when they are a privileged majority is just grotesque. Senator Santorum, are, are white men a, a privileged majority? Look, I, I think Donald Trump uh, overstated the case, uh, but I think he does reflect that there is concern among uh, some people that uh, you know, that their sons or, or brothers, you know, may be accused of something. And, and uh, I actually see it as a very good teachable moment. I certainly have used it for, for, uh, for my boys uh, and said, you know, look, uh, you know, obviously this is behavior we told you not to do. But, you know, there could be a situation where you even just put yourself in a position where you might be accused of something like this. And, and uh, that's not, you know, you, you don't want to do that. You want to be much more cautious. So I don't see that as a scary moment whatsoever. I see that as an instruction constructive moment uh, for parents and, 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 and loved ones to be able to impress upon their young men that you have a role to play that to be in, and to, to behave yourself sexually and not to put yourself in a position where you might be accused falsely. The, the president seemed to be implying that it's, it's a more dangerous time for young men. Donald Trump Jr. certainly uh, said that he's more concerned about his, his sons. Just given the, the statistics, Senator, do you think that's at all accurate or understandable? As I said before, I think he's, he's certainly overstating the case. I mean, am I more concerned of my daughters being sexually assaulted than my sons being falsely accused of sexual assault? 
of course I'm more concerned about my daughter being a, being sexually assaulted because that is that is more the norm. It doesn't it doesn't uh, say that we shouldn't also be concerned about your your uh, your sons or, or men putting themselves in a position where they may be accused. And again, this, to me, this is a this is an opportunity for us to. Uh, uh, to sort of look at sexual mores. And here's the, the good news. I mean, I've seen, I saw a survey recently that Gen Z, which are high school students right now, are less sexually active than any generation in like three generations. So there may be a message getting across there that, uh, may, that this is not the way to conduct yourself, particularly when you're young. Well, I mean, Rick, Rick Can I just say, say something, though, please? please? I wasn't sexually active when what happened to me happened to me. And nor was my girlfriend, did she even want to be sexually active when she was forced to perform oral sex on somebody. I mean, I was 15 years old. I think I had maybe kissed somebody once. You know what I mean? I, I was not. So the idea that you're putting yourself in a position where things are going to happen, I mean, these are people who are preying on women. But but the other thing I wanted to say is that this, this idea that somehow there was an accusation against Kavanaugh and that he's now been tried and, and you know, and, and sent away isn't accurate. That's not what's happened. What, what's happened is people have taken this seriously. They've asked for an investigation. They've wanted a real investigation. They've wanted certain people who may have seen this happen under oath answering questions. That's a far cry from, I think, the way it's being described as if it's just like, you're guilty, out, get out of here. That's not what's happened. Well, it's not what's happened, but it's certainly what the Democrats have. They've all called for him to to, to, to pull back his, his nomination. Uh, I mean, in fact, the, the media has been out there, you know, campaigning, oh, you should believe her and, and he should get out. So it hasn't happened, but it hasn't happened because Republicans have said no, not because Democrats have said no. But, but, but Rick, you, you, what you just said, that this is a teachable moment, and I, I certainly don't quarrel with that, and your position on all this seems quite reasonable, it's completely different from the President of the United States. I mean, the President of the United States is taking the side of men, period. Just like he takes the side of white people, period. I mean, this is, you know, a politics of cultural, you know, resentment and anger. I mean, you, you need only look at how he talks about, you know, the NFL football players. It's very, it's all part of the same set of attitudes as what he talks about, the victims of sexual harassment. And to say that this is a teachable moment is fine, but it is not what's going on here. What's going on here is the president is engaging in bigotry and earlier racism, and I, that's what we should all talk about. Yeah, I, I would say that you're taking his, his, his comments out of context of other things he said in the past about Dr. Ford and others that he is, you know, he's willing to listen to testimony, looking for the FBI, I, is concerned about sexual assault, but he's bringing up a different point. He's not. He's bringing it up not in isolation. He's bringing it up in the context of other things he said. I agree with you that he has overstated the case, and I don't think it's a, quote, scary moment, but I'm, I, I don't think it's something that I can tell you because I've talked to lots of lots of folks, lots of moms and dads who see this as a concern for their sons and 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 our concerns about false accusations. Right. I, I, again, but, I think it's, it's not as serious a concern as they should yeah. as they should be concerned about their daughters. But it's not nothing. But but Senator, is he the one to make that argument, given that he made false accusations? I mean, against the Central Park Five, who were juveniles who was, you know spent their lives in prison and then was critical. Uh, when they were, you know, uh, reimbursed and, and, you know, were, were, you know, got compensation from from New York City after finally being exonerated. I mean, is he really the one to? It doesn't seem like he's been concerned well, about he, false accusations in the past against, certainly in this case, people of color. 
Well, he's the president of the United States, and he's commenting on a current situation. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident he was not thinking about that when he made those statements, and uh, he's certainly open to criticism for that. But I don't think just because someone did something wrong in the past doesn't mean they can't right. comment right. on, but he's just on never, a current But he's situation. never admitted he was wrong or, you know, apologized. Anyway. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> Senator Santorum, thank you for being with us. Jeff Tubin as well. Uh, Kirsten Paris. Again, I urge uh, everyone to read uh, Kirsten's uh, uh, piece. It's uh, extraordinarily powerful and, and brave. Uh, remember the president's claim that he started off with his father giving him, quote, a small loan of a million dollars? Well, a bombshell investigation in the New York Times found that is far from the truth, that he actually received more than $400 million from his father's real estate empire using tax schemes, including, according to the Times, instances of outright fraud. That's $400 million in today's uh, dollars worth. Uh, details next on that. And later, new reporting that the president himself and his son Eric were directly involved trying to stop porn star Stormy Daniels from talking about her alleged affair with uh, Mr. Trump. We're keeping him on us next, plus your lawyer, Michael Avenatti, joins me coming up. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. Well, you may remember from the campaign, a central part of the president's origin story that he's a self-made billionaire, that he took what he considered to be a small loan of a million dollars from his father and turned it into the empire. He repeated it over and over on the campaign trail. I started off in Brooklyn. My father gave me a small loan of a million dollars. My father uh, gave me a very small loan in 1975. I got a very, very small loan from my father many years ago. I started with a million dollar loan. I started off with a million dollar loan and I built it up to more than $10 billion in value. I came into Manhattan and I had to pay him back and I had to pay him back with interest. I got a small loan, started a business. A million dollar loan. And I built it up in a relatively short period of time to more than 10 billion. Well, the only problem, according to a massive investigation by The New York Times, it's not even close to being true. And that's just the beginning. Joining me now is New York Times reporter uh, Russ Butner, who shares the byline on, on the report. You've been working on this for a long time. Year and a half. Year and a half. OK, so the president says he's a self-made billionaire, took a million dollar loan from his father, turned into an empire. Not true. Not true. Yes, he, he was, his father was paying him money from the time he was three years old. Um, at first, the first from the mechanism. Time he was three? From the time he was three, yeah. The first mechanism was his father had built some large apartment complexes and he gave the land under those apartment complexes to his children, including the president, who was then three, and then began paying them rent on that over the course of his life. That started, his father was paying the kids rent for the land that he had, uh, has property on right. when they're three and he's three years old. Right. Okay. And he was collecting at that point in time the equivalent of about a physician's salary from the time he was, 
you know, a toddler. So by the time he graduated high school or college, did he have a lot of money? He was a multimillionaire by that time. His father found other mechanisms, including um, treating him like a bank and paying him interest on loans as if he had borrowed the money from his children. Um, he started giving him apartment complexes when he was 16 years old, and then it really escalated uh, in the 1980s when Donald was in his 40s. When he was 16 and given apartment complexes, I mean, he wasn't managing the apartment complexes on his weekends. It, it was just on paper. He had this. That's right. It was just shares in a corporate entity. And Fred Trump um, split the shares between his five children at the time and then continued to do all the work. But they began collecting the profits on those buildings. In, um, you know, the president also touts his acumen as a businessman, though he actually you detail how he repeatedly had to be financially bailed out by his father. Yeah, his, his father never really made a bad deal in his entire life. Everything he designed was very low in cost and not like really high aspirational in terms of the revenue, but enough to make a significant profit. Whereas the president, all of his businesses were very high on the cost side. And that's what you see in the 80s. He got into a lot of trouble with his casinos, an airline, um, a hotel in Manhattan. And as all that started to go belly up, really get him in trouble, his father found other sort of backdoor ways to channel tens of millions of dollars to his son. In, in uh, You report also that, I want to make sure I get this right, that his father had set up a, a, a sophisticated system to help the family avoid paying taxes. In, in some cases, um, uh, you write about a shell company that was created to essentially funnel money through it to avoid paying taxes. Right. That's one of our favorites because it's a pretty, pretty simple sort of brazen scheme. His father's businesses, his apartment buildings, bought a tremendous amount of goods, boilers, roofs, Windex, all kinds of stuff. And his father continued to buy those things and negotiate the, pro the, the prices for those. But in 1992, they set up a separate entity that had no, no existence other than on paper that would get the bills for those things, add on 20% to that, then bill the father's businesses. And then the siblings would share that 20%. Um, and over just a few years, that was adding up to millions of dollars a year. So it, it was basically a fake business, a business just on paper that was taxing, uh, adding on 20% to, to the stuff. And that was just money being funneled to the kids. That's exactly and that's right. a way of avoiding actually uh, taxes on money given directly. Yeah, that's exactly. There's a limit on how much you can give your child. Or and it was very low at the time. And gift taxes at the time were quite punishing. They were 55%. So it would was that legal? It, we've talked to prosecutors who said they think it is illegal in a couple of ways. One, just avoiding, the, it seems like a scheme to avoid a gift tax or an estate tax later. There was another aspect to that particular one um, that caused other problems where they were using those inflated invoices to apply for rent increases on their rent-regulated apartments. And then the rent on those apartments for low- and middle-income families would be artificially increased based on that padded So low-income families were paying more rent than they really legally had to. That's right. Um, the White House, they put out a statement, and I, in part it says, many decades ago the IRS reviewed and signed off on these transactions, perhaps another apology from the New York Times, like, they wanted, like the one they had to issue after they got the 2016 election so embarrassingly wrong, is in order. Not exactly a denial here. Yeah, I don't think we were actually apologized for that election. Right. Well, that was also um, right. Right. Um, no, not exactly a denial. And some of these things were reviewed by the taxing authorities. They, we don't feel like they ever had the whole picture of what was happening. Um, so I think we've pointed out cases where it looks like things were just hidden from them, and that's how it kind of slid through. In other cases, like the one we were just discussing, that was never reviewed by anybody that we're aware of. Um, just stay with us. I want to bring in Jeffrey Tubin, uh, Michael D'Antonio, and Lee Ford uh, Tritt, who's a University of Florida law professor and a leading expert in gift and estate uh, tax law. Thanks for all, all for being here. Um, 
Jeff, what, does this sound right to you? It's grotesque. I mean, it, it is just unbelievable. And, and, you know, my hat is so... I'm so impressed by the quality of, of the journalism and the care with which this is done. But there's really a larger political message here, which is that if you get a W-2 like most people, you get a salary, you have basically no chance to... T- to cheat on your taxes. I mean, they, they, they withhold a certain amount every two weeks. That's just sort of how taxes work in this country. But if you're rich, like the Trumps, you can set up a system like this. And they detail in the most extraordinary way how this is done. And an, an important thing to know now is that the IRS is being cut by the Republicans over and over again. So they have no investigators or very few investigators to ferret stuff out like this. So it's open season for people who can hire lawyers and create scams like this. So what the Trumps have done is epidemic throughout the whole economy. Lee, how much of what the Trump family did was just savvy estate planning? How much of it was illegal or bordering on illegal? Lee, that it's tough to see you, what's uh, totally illegal. Yeah, uh, it's tough to see what's totally illegal. But in this case, you know, the wealthy people in the United States, they spend a lot of time and money trying to get out of estate taxes. And a lot of this is set up by Congress, their laws, their rules, the regulations that they're following. So when the New York Times is talking about these GRATs, these grant and retained annuity trusts they set up, a lot of wealthy clients do this. But stretching these tax products so far... Uh, that some of the Trumps seem, uh, some of the Trumps transactions seem to do, that's really pushing uh, illegality, um, especially when it's talking about these valuations and the the use of the all county building supply company. So I mean, essentially, if you're making low income people, if you're getting them to pay more in rent than legally they would have to under New York, you know, rent control or rent regulation laws, I mean, that seems certainly unethical. Absolutely. And, and think about this. That transaction, it was like a twofer. They got to increase the rent in their apartments. And meanwhile, they're shifting income out of Fred Sr.'s estate over to the children without a, a gift in our estate tax. And the income tax rate was lower then. So it's, it was a win-win for them, but definitely unethical. Michael, do, does the portrait the president depicted he, uh, of the president that's depicted here in this New York Times, does it fit with what you know of him as, as someone who you know, has done a biography of him and spent time with him? Well, it fits precisely. And uh, in addition to that, I think the portrait of Fred Trump is a close fit as well. One of the wonderful things about the work the Times has done is that they're describing a method that Fred Trump used in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. He got caught a couple of times. You know, there's an example where the Times writes about the family essentially leasing boilers back to Fred Trump in order to both reap the profit from the lease, but also retain a lot of the equity in it. And this is what Fred did when he was building apartments and got caught by the New York State Assembly, renting himself equipment. Uh, In the 50s, he used uh, trickery to raise the rents on veterans and low-income families that were moving into federally subsidized housing, and Dwight Eisenhower caught him. What's fascinating about this is that we don't have regulation anymore. There's not really an IRS checking up on these hundreds of entities, so it's pretty easy to get away with all of this stuff. If I can just add one thing, 
The one thing that's clear legally about all this is that this criminal statute of limitations has run on all of the the the, the uh, behavior that's described in the Times story. So um, it, it's sort of an academic dispute about whether it's criminal or not. There is the potential for some civil uh, remedies right. that might continue to be uh, to be sought if the IRS gets off its behind and does it. Um, I would not be holding my breath to see the IRS uh, I mean, New York pursuing State the president's family. Into this. New York State, but you know, you know, there, there's all this mythology about you know the New York State, you know, filling in for Robert Mueller if right. he gets fired. The New York State does not have the resources like the federal government does. This is a classic job for the IRS criminal division, which is a shadow of its former self. Russ, you also found evidence the president's parents avoided paying hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes by undervaluing properties that they then gave to their kids. Yeah, that was in the, the transfer of the remaining, the bulk of Fred Trump's empire to his children in 1995 to 1997. All that happened secretly. It was never announced. Um, they managed to... Transferring it before it, he Before died. he passed away, uh -huh. yes, right. To and avoid they did estate that, taxes. Right, so they did that through a trust, um, and uh, they were managed to get a valuation of those properties knocked all the way down to $41 million using a variety of mechanisms, uh, appraisals that seem to be somewhat specious in spots, and other discounting methods that are uh, tax authorities or experts told us were dubious. And in doing so, they paid almost no... A very small amount of gift tax on that. And a few years later, those buildings that they had valued at $41 million sold for more than $700 million. Um, so that was quite, wow, a, quite a significant savings at that point. Uh, it's just incredible reporting uh, you and the others did the New York Times. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us, too. Up next, President Trump on the campaign trail tonight in Mississippi, railing against Christine Blasey Ford, even mocking her account of what she said happened to her at the hands of Brett Kavanaugh decades ago. Details ahead. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. The president is at a rally in Mississippi tonight, and the restaurant he showed earlier this week regarding, uh, excuse me, the uh, restraint, I should say not restaurant, the restraint he showed earlier this week regarding Professor Christine Blasey Ford's allegation, well, that seems over with. He's repeating his claim that men are the real victims because of so-called false accusations. You might remember after Dr. Ford testified, the president called her very compelling and a credible witness, said she looked like a very fine woman. Up to a point, he's been careful not to attack her. That point seems now to have come. Here's the president uh, mocking her testimony. I had one beer, right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was... Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. And a man's life is in tatters. A man's life is shattered. A man's life. With me now is Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono, a member of the Judiciary uh, Committee and Democrats. Senator Hirono, thanks for being with us. I'm wondering, sure. first of all, your reaction to the president's comments tonight. We can always count on the president to go down to the lowest common denominator, mock people, call people names, attack them. This is what he does. And the thing that uh, Dr. Ford did remember with 100% recollection was that it was Brett Kavanaugh who attacked her. 
I'd also like to get your reaction to what the president said earlier today, the quote, it's a very scary time for young men in America where you can be guilty of something you may not be guilty of. Do you think it's a very scary time for, for young men in America compared to, to young women? No, because that, that really flows from total mistrust of women. They must think that we all sit around making up uh, stories about them. We have a few other things that we like to do, such as getting on with our lives and making a living and all of that. So I, I also know that his son said the same thing, and I guess the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. And you know, this from an admitted sexual predator. So actually, it is the women in this country mainly who have been the victims of these kinds of assaults from men since practically, I want to say, time immemorial. And for them to act like the victims is the reason that women mainly who have these kinds of horrible experiences do not come forward because they are mocked. They are not believed. They are told, we don't want to hear from you. That has to stop. There are a lot of angry and determined women in this country now. Professor Ford's uh, attorney sent a letter to uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray requesting a phone call because they say that they've received no response from anyone involved in the new uh, FBI background investigation. Should the FBI interview Professor Ford? Should they interview Judge Kavanaugh? They definitely need to interview Judge Kavanaugh because they haven't interviewed him on these particular uh, reports. And uh, as for Dr. Ford, I don't know because I'm told that sometimes they will interview uh, the principals, uh, principal witnesses, after they've gone through the other people that they're interviewing. But frankly, I do not know how extensive the FBI investigation is. We would like it to be complete. I would like to know whether there are inconsistencies between how Judge Kavanaugh testified and what people who knew him in both high school and college say about his behavior while he was drinking. Yeah, I mean, there are reports tonight that the FBI's work could be wrapped up uh, tonight. Is that your understanding? Or even tomorrow? I hear those kind of rumors. and. What I would be concerned about is, uh, is really how complete their investigation has been, because if it's just a peripheral or kind of a whitewash uh, kind of investigation, I don't know if that's going to satisfy Senators Flake or Murkowski or uh, um, Susan Collins. I hope not. I hope that they expect the kind of professional thorough job that we expect of the FBI. Today, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said that the findings of the report should be made public. Well, your committee's ranking Democrat Dianne Feinstein said no, they should not. Where do you fall on this? Should they be made uh, open to the public? Should it just be for, uh, for all senators, for senators on the Judiciary Committee? All of these allegations are public. Uh, we had a hearing. You know, my view is that we should be as transparent as possible. And the American public has a, a right to see uh, as much uh, of the evidence, et cetera, and the investigation as possible. And there may be some areas where there's confidentiality requirements, but mainly I think it's really important at this point to be as transparent as possible. Well, just lastly, Senator Grassley released a statement tonight on the investigation saying in part, quote, the FBI's business should be carried out independent of political or partisan considerations. I hope my Democratic colleagues do not attempt to interfere in that process. Are you aware what he's specifically referring to? Any attempts from your Democratic colleagues to, in his words, interfere in the investigation? For people who have been stonewalling the, the investigation from day one, uh, I, I think it's pretty rich for them to say that we are trying to interfere with a process that we have been calling for, an investigation that we have been calling for. Would you consider it interfering that we actually want to have all of the relevant witnesses and not just four uh, <laughs> questioned. <laughs> you know, but the main thing is that we want a complete, thorough 
uh, reliable investigation. I don't think that's asking too much uh, of all of us. And clearly, don't we all want to get to as much of the truth as possible? Mm. Senator Hirono, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Sure. The president said he, he knew nothing about that $130,000 payoff to Stormy Daniels. Remember that? Well, there's now new reporting that he did know. And not only that, he directed his personal fixer and lawyer, Michael Cohen, and even one of his sons to keep her story secret or try to or keep them honest on that. I'll talk to Ms. Daniels' attorney, Michael Avenatti. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Another Keeping Him Honest report now on the new revelations about that $130,000 hush money payout to adult film star Stormy Daniels. There's new details that contradict what the president has already said about it. Source confirms to CNN what was first reported today in the Wall Street Journal, that the president himself and his son Eric Trump were directly involved in efforts to stop Daniels from telling her story about the sexual affair she says she had with Donald Trump in 2006, an affair the president has denied ever happened. Now, source with direct knowledge tells CNN that in February, a month before Daniels agreed to talk with me for this interview with 60 Minutes, President Trump personally directed his then lawyer, Michael Cohen, in a phone call to stop Daniels from publicly speaking out about the alleged affair with him by seeking a restraining order. The source says that President Trump directed Cohen to coordinate the effort involving his son, Eric, and Jill Martin, who does work for the Trump organization, a Trump organization attorney, to keep Daniels quiet. Now, all of this, despite months of denials of the president knowing any of this. Back in March, the Trump organization denied any role, saying its attorney, Ms. Martin, assisted in the matter in her, quote, individual capacity. And you'll likely remember back then, Michael Cohen was also saying the Trump organization and the president knew nothing about the money paid to Ms. Daniels. David Schwartz, who was Cohen's uh, lawyer in another matter and a friend and a spokesman at the time, had this to say back in March to my colleague Aaron Burnett. The president was not aware of the agreement. Uh, at least Michael Cohen never told him about the agreement. I could tell you that. Not aware about the agreement. What about the money? He was not aware about any of it. He okay. was not aware. Okay. He wasn't told about it. It makes Very it even close. harder for me to imagine that he wouldn't have told the, the president but, because I do right, know right, about Michael's right, role. Right, because, <laughs> because he's that close to him, he had great latitude to handle these matters. Michael Cohen sent, said from the very beginning that he did this on his own and did not uh, tell the president. The agreement was between EC, LLC, and Stormy Daniels. So, okay, we now know that wasn't true. Soon after that, the president was asked about the allegations. Ask Michael Cohen. Michael's my an attorney, and you'll have to ask Michael Cohen. Do you know where he got the money to make that payment? No, I don't know. No. So we now know that wasn't true either. That said, it's important to note nowhere in today's story is there any suggestion that any laws were broken, but it does paint a picture of a candidate willing to do anything to bury parts of his past and also involve his son in this. Joining me now is Stormy Daniels attorney Michael Avenatti. I mean, all along, you were pointing out the inconsistencies. For instance, I mean, all along you were pointing, you know, Michael Cohen was representing himself as a Trump Organization attorney. Uh, you talked about this uh, the attorney who was involved in the arbitration, who also was a, a Trump Organization attorney. They were just saying stuff that wasn't true. 
the entire time. I mean, not only in the clips that you referenced, Anderson, but there's a number of clips, five, six, seven clips from your own show, multiple shows, many, many months. They consistently came on CNN and other networks. They lied to the American people. David Schwartz did it on behalf of Michael Cohen. Sarah Sanders did it from the lectern at the White House. Other people speaking on behalf of the president did it. They lied to the American people time and time again. The president lied on Air Force One. And they they kept selling or attempting to sell this lie that Donald Trump knew nothing about the $130,000 payment and basically knew nothing about the the arbitration either. Well, we should also point out Michael Cohen has now obviously flipped and has uh, confessed to to his uh, crimes uh, and said, you know, that he was directed to do this by... By the president. Well, exactly. And I mean, the president, you know, recently took a shot at me and said that, you know, I had made a number of false allegations against him. Actually, every allegation that I've made against him thus far, I think, has proven to be true or the jury's still out. But nothing has proven to be false. But it is clear now, in light of this report, the president at all times knew of the $130,000 payment, attempted to cover it up. They filed this arbitration proceeding because they knew that we were getting ready to file a lawsuit and basically make it public. Why would the president have brought his son, Eric Trump, into this? I mean, obviously, Eric Trump works at the Trump Organization, as it seems like pretty much all the Trump kids do, except for Tiffany Trump. Why bring your son into this? It just seems like a bonehead move and a kind of I mean, for a father to bring his son into to this kind of stuff. Well, I agree. I think it is a bonehead move, but I think you see that consistently with uh, Donald Trump on, on many fronts. But what that tells me is, is that Donald Trump was very concerned about this and wanted to do everything he could to make sure that it was swept under the rug, wanted to have somebody other than Michael Cohen involved in an effort to make that happen. Also, I mean, the president has said repeatedly that, you know, that he stepped away from running his family's company if... I mean, it seems like he's still involved. He's telling his son how, what to do as he was a company employee. Well, I agree with that. And, and here's the other aspect that has not been fully flushed out yet, and that is the flow of the money. Remember that we still don't have the evidence of exactly how this money flowed. And I think that the report today and the involvement of Eric Trump and the Trump Organization lends credence to the fact that the $130,000 payment was reimbursed directly from the Trump Organization. We also don't know what cooperation Michael Cohen has given, what specifically he has told investigators. And I mean, you're not here. You don't get information on on that at all, obviously. Well, my understanding is, is that he's fully cooperated with uh, prosecutors with SDNY. I know he spent a considerable amount of time before the grand jury in Washington, D.C., in connection with the Mueller investigation. You know, I said a long time ago that uh, an Achilles heel for Donald Trump was going to be trusting Michael Cohen to be his fixer and sharing his innermost secrets for 10 or 12 years with Michael Cohen, who was not going to stand up under pressure. And where do things stand now with any pending litigation between the president and Stormy Daniels? There's a case. There's two cases pending in Los Angeles. One of them uh, is stayed. The other is proceeding. And we're going to find out more here in the next 60 days. All right. Uh, Michael Avenatti, thanks very much. Appreciate Thank it. I want to check in with Chris, see what uh, he's working on for Cuomo Prime Time at the top of the hour. Chris. All right, Anderson, many years ago at ABC News, we did a team investigation into the net worth of Donald Trump. And it was a real adventure in journalism. We couldn't get anywhere near to the number he wanted us to report. And every time we said we can't report that number and we couldn't even get close, he would threaten to sue. And it was a very effective technique. The New York Times today, with its report, has fulfilled many of the dreams that we had back then (laughs) about getting access to things and getting a full picture. 
I have never seen anything like it. Yeah, they worked in like a year and a half, one of the reporters was telling me. The depth, the dimension, what it says about the truth about Donald Trump is something that has to be told. It took a long time to go through it. We're breaking it down. And then we have a great guest to give us perspective on that. And pretty much everything we're talking about in the news, what's going on with the FBI probe, with Kavanaugh, what's going on with Rosenstein, what's going on with Mueller, what's going on with 2020 for the Democrats. Eric Holder is here. Been trying to get him for a long time. Many say he's the Democrats' best hope in 2020. So we'll take it all on with him. All right, Chris, thanks very much. That's about uh, eight minutes from now. More breaking news. Suspicious letters uh, sent to President Trump and the Pentagon concerned they contain a deadly toxin. The latest on the investigation in a moment. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, there's still more breaking news tonight. The FBI is investigating three suspicious letters. One was sent to President Trump, the two others to the Pentagon. Sinez Boris Sanchez joins us with more. So what have you learned? Hey there, Anderson. Yeah, it appears that all these letters were connected. According to a law enforcement source, all the envelopes are similar and they contain a ricin-like substance, though officials are not publicly labeling it ricin, pending further testing. Uh, the Secret Service has told CNN that the letter that was addressed to President Trump never actually even got on the White House grounds. We understand that the two letters that were addressed to the Pentagon were sent to the Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, and the Chief of Naval uh, Affairs, uh, Admiral John Richardson. Uh, one more note of the actual uh, substance of these envelopes. A law enforcement source tells CNN that it was a crude uh, substance based on castor beans, which is used to make ricin. Though this official says that if someone had ingested this substance, it likely would not have been fatal, though it could have made them very ill, Anderson. Is there any response from the White House? Well, they directed all our questions to the Secret Service. Uh, when they were initially reached with questions about this, uh, at least one official in the White House press shop had not been aware that one of these letters was addressed to President Trump. Of course, the Secret Service has told us that all these letters are under quarantine. They're not part of this uh, joint investigation. Uh, and, of course, uh, we know that the president is not actually here at the White House tonight. He's taking part uh, of a, in a rally at uh, Mississippi, Anderson. So what, what is the next step in the investigation? Well, initially, it is completing the testing on this substance to determine whether or not it is actually ricin, which it appears to be that. Then, of course, uh, there is a process whereby uh, the Secret Service and uh, the Department of Defense, uh, the FBI and others would uh, try to trace these letters back. This is not the first time that we've seen this. Of course, there were uh, similar letters sent to uh, President Obama. Those ended uh, with a very thorough investigation, uh, yet to be seen exactly how this saga ends, though, Anderson. But just to be clear, uh, the letter sent to the president did not enter the White House grounds, but the two letters sent to the Pentagon did, do we know, did they actually reach the, the, the offices of Mattis uh, and, and the, other, uh, uh, the other intended target? 
Uh, no, Anderson, there is a, a mail processing facility at the Pentagon. It appears that uh, when they were uh, sent there, they were tested uh, at that facility, and they never actually reached uh, neither uh, Admiral Richardson right. nor Secretary of Defense Mattis. All right, Boris Sanchez, appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, a reminder, don't miss Full Circle. It's our daily interactive newscast on Facebook. You get to pick some of the stories we cover. We started this just about, I don't know, about a month or two ago. Uh, it's weeknights, 625 p.m. Eastern at Facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle. Hope you tune in. The news continues. Want to hand it over to Chris Cuomo for Cuomo Prime Time. Chris? Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.